Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Science and spirituality are both teaching us that we are all connected, that we are all one. So what you do to another person, you're literally doing to another aspect of yourself. And when mankind awakens to the universal truth of oneness, there will be peace on earth. Uh, we just celebrated Global One, the seventh annual Global Oneness Day this past Monday, October 24th. And it was an amazing event. There were wonderful speakers all speaking about oneness, the truth of oneness from all aspects of life. Today's show topic is Be Still and Know That I Am God. I just love the title of that book um, that Nick Gangitano, um is an author, and he is with us live today. Nick is a former professional athlete, author, and spiritual teacher. Nick, I'd like to welcome you to Awake to Oneness Radio. Thank you. Welcome, Hello. Nick. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, I'd love to. I, I've I've done a little research on you on uh, YouTube and um, the internet. Uh, but if you can share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you came to write this amazing book, uh, "Be Still and Know I Am God." I, I just love that title. Oh, great! Thank you. Well. <clears throat> The um, the book was written in Costa Rica. Um, mm-hmm. I was a spiritual teacher for um, for about six years prior to that, and we had moved to Costa Rica to open a center there. And when we got there, we um, decided that rather than doing that, that we were going to move to the mountains. So we moved up into the mountains and. We spent um, about six months there before we ended up moving into the high mountains where there was a river and that type of thing. And one day, we were sitting there in the cabin, my uh, my wife Penelope and I, uh-huh. and while we were sitting there, she had asked me if I would do an activity with her, and uh, which was essentially just sit there and any thought that pops into your mind you would just go ahead and just write it down on paper, mm-hmm. which typically was not that much because there was not really a lot of thinking going on when you're living in the forest and there was really nothing around for a mile within our cabin. So, But then we sat there, and then after about 30 minutes, she had said to me, okay, you can stop, and it was very peculiar, unusual for any other type of writing that I'd ever done where it just kept pouring through. And mm. so so essentially for 
about 10 hours straight, I my hand, I just kept writing, and I didn't stop. And that happened. The strange thing was that I woke up every day at exactly 4.15 a.m. and had a cup of Podarco tea ready, and precisely 4.30, I would start writing. And uh, for 10 hours a day for six weeks. Oh, and so nice. that happened every, every day for six weeks for, for 10 hours and ended up with about 260-some pages, 280 pages. And now Penelope was an editor at the time for the Chicken Soup for the Soul Company. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, okay, I'll, I'll edit it. But it was a very strange type of process that had occurred where it just said, okay, now place your pen. This voice, I guess you would say, came from within and said, okay, now place your pen on the paper. And it just proceeded to cross everything out, all these different words and complete paragraphs and everything that evidently was not supposed to be there. And so here I am with a huge stack of papers notebook papers with lines drawn through everything and it looked like just a big scribble pad and then after I was done scratching out all these words I had no idea what I was crossing out the book mm-hmm. was done mm. so, and so uh, I'm, a, I'm, a little, I'm a little confused because um, yes. I, I know that of several books that have um, come through on through Automatic writing, I guess that's called, where yeah. um, you put your your pen to paper and and you just like conversations with God. I would say would be one of those books where it was pretty much automatic writing. But now it sounds like it was automatic writing, but also automatic editing. Is is, is that what I'm hearing? Yes, yes. In fact, ah. there was no there was no editing whatsoever. There was no room wiggle room. There oh. was no room for misinterpretation whatsoever everything was rectified and clarified on the spot and it generally came through was this is that I had we were out in the forest and we were having a little bit of fun where we were channeling Mm -hmm. different uh, beings different beings from different time frames different generations different even different spheres and different um different spheres, different uh, dimensions, that type of thing, just out of curiosity and how creative we could get. And I thought, well, you know, if I can channel all of these beings, why not just channel the I am consciousness directly? Mm-hmm. And this was this was the general attitude or intention about a couple of weeks before the book actually was written. And mm-hmm. then a couple of weeks later, that's when everything took place. And so it, the whole thing was automatic and there, you know, people say, well, you know, I heard that you wrote a book. Well, I mean, in a sense, I did write the book, but in another sense, the book was written mm-hmm. through, you know, through me, but through there you. was not really any sense of doing at all. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then it was done, and, and Penelope took over from there, and she pieced it together, published it, and, and, and that's what you, um, you've seen. Mm-hmm. Now I um let's go a little bit before the book. So how did how did you get interested in cuz I know you were an athlete. Um yeah. 
And so how did you go from being an athlete to get uh, being interested in things of spiritual nature? Well, that that's um, when I was young, young boy, my father had a brought in a book home for me. I think I was about eight or ten years old, and he just put it on the counter. It was called The Autobiography of a Yogi. Mm-hmm. And um, with Paramahamsa Yogananda. Now I was a young boy at the time. I had no need for books of this kind, and so he left it there. And then one day I just took it to school and I started um, reading over it or looking over it, and I lost interest. And so I never really started to do anything, but I started to drop into states of meditation intermittently without really trying, and I. What ended up happening is because of the fluorescent lights in the school, mm-hmm. I ended up having a very difficult time concentrating. I could feel the part in my ajna or my my sixth chakra or whatever. I could feel it completely constricted and contracted to where the sense of awareness of of being that I felt I was in almost continuously closed off. And mm-hmm. I felt very alienated, and I, and I completely lost my ability to think clearly, rationally, or do anything. And I focused all my attention on athletics. Mm-hmm. And so you could say, in a sense, the energy was was redirected from being able to go to the higher centers and squeezed almost down into the lower centers, where I began to excel in athletics and things that were more physically. Um, if you will, directed toward the body. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so that's that was pretty much it until I got to college. And then, of course, I lost complete interest in learning anything. So you could say that I I became very rebellious at that stage where I didn't want anybody telling me what to do with anything. And I completely rejected the idea of learning Mm-hmm. Um, I had a complete, um, uh, I guess you would say, um, um, resistance to anyone or anything that would try to tell me what to think or how to think. There was this instinctive cutoff point. And it was at that point when I had stopped thinking. It had lasted for about two years. And at that point, I was playing the, I was the field goal kicker for the Penn State um, collegiate okay. football team, and mm-hmm. uh, Joe Paterno, or one of the coaches on the team, they recommended that I take a class uh, in sports psychology, which just happened to have meditation in the class as part of the curriculum. And mm-hmm. immediately, within in the very first day, I immediately felt like. Uh, I could drop into these very deep states of meditation, and I became uh, pretty much obsessed with meditation. Nothing else was interesting to me. I was would come home after practice and sit in my room for hours and not do anything but meditate. Then that was it, and then then that lasted for several months, and then I just completely lost interest in everything because I started to get a lot of attention because of my success as an athlete mm-hmm. and dropped away from that. And so I really did not meditate again for until after my divorce in 1990. 
in my okay. first marriage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. I was going to ask so, you when you were in these hours of meditation, did you have any kind of mystical experiences? I had, yeah, quite a few different mm-hmm. mystical experiences. Some of them were really they would be impossible to describe um, mm-hmm. in this in this dimension. Um, for for it would be it would be it could be misinterpreted. So I don't generally like to articulate uh, those mm-hmm. because those experiences really have nothing to do with what I consider to be you know. Um, part of an authentic spiritual practice but there were there mm-hmm. were many different experiences if you will um that took place that at that point they were they were they were very intense and very exhilarating but as i later on came to know um under the guidance of ramana maharshi that they mm-hmm. were in fact obstacles to the path of self-realization in a sense that the enticements of the ego um, to pull one off track of turning inward for mm-hmm. um, for samadhi to occur or for emancipation to occur. So this was this was something that that when I stopped after my divorce, I had started onto a path that um, I had studied a little bit, watched the movie Jesus of Nazareth. That was my only spiritual practice at that point. I would watch the movie Jesus of Nazareth um, probably every single day for about six months. Mm -hmm. So I watched literally the exact same half of the movie every single day for about six months. That was my satsang at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was it. And then... After that, I stumbled on to, uh, I went to a place called Unity Church with my sister. Mm-hmm. And I discovered a thing called Course in Miracles and did that for a very short time, but found that it was a dead end. And it was, it could take, oh. it could take you to it, but it was not really capable of taking you really into it on the deepest okay. level, not, not for completion to occur. Don't and want so to interrupt, that, but you you used the word that I'm not actually sure I know the meaning of. So I think yeah. you said satsang. Yes. That you what what does that mean? Satsang is means to be in the company of truth, or one okay. that is one that is fully realized, self-realized. So, in this particular case, the actor Robert Powell, um, who played the character in the movie was in in fact channeling uh jesus um mm. and uh and it was very clear because vibrationally it, there was a sense of you know stillness that you feel when you're with someone who is coming from that mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. was the and so that became my only spiritual practice um yeah so satsang is basically when when those that are seeking to know the truth of who they are resonate mm-hmm. and align themselves with one who already is fully realized. And mm-hmm. then there there's a resonance that is transmitted that allows for them to attain that vibration of of inner being that that 
is um, that eventually will remain permanent. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. You you mentioned that you went to Unity Church, which I've I visited a Unity a Unity Church uh, several years ago, um, and I. Um, but you also mentioned A Course in Miracles, which I've had many guests on this show who have kind of come to their awakening um, through A Course in Miracles. I personally have not studied The Course in Miracles, but from what I, just from what I gather from other students of the Course, that I I feel very much in alignment with the course, even though I haven't studied it. But you were about to say something about that, about the course? Well, my my experience is that any belief system or religion, even though most in the Course in Miracles don't consider it a religion, it has a set of beliefs or concepts that are set forth in order to offset past traditional Uh, belief systems and concepts that are acquired either through religion or um, or society and these Mm -hmm. more they're more non-dual concepts i guess you could say but i did not Mm -hmm. feel satisfied in that and Mm -hmm. that it would it would only it would bring about certain glimpses uh, that were triggered in my contemplation of mm-hmm. some of the uh, some of the books, not so much even in the the the, the book itself, but in a, a book that was written by Kenneth Wapnick called the uh, Forgiveness in Jesus, which was mm-hmm. a, a key element I think was in in breaking away from the traditional Christianity in in my mm-hmm. eyes, which I right. found to be very heavy and um, you know um, dogmatic. So after that occurred, I remained with that until I eventually came across a book by a guy named uh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, also later came to know be known as Osho. Mm-hmm. And this book was called The Book of Nothing. And the, the Book of Nothing, which was given to me by my sister, was just a little old black and white cover book real ratty, beat up, didn't look like much, but was the most powerful book that I had ever read. And and then after reading that for a while, I had sold, I had quit my teaching job, which at that point I had become a school teacher mm-hmm. and a coach. And I quit my job, sold my townhome, and I moved to the beach and would basically sit in meditation for about 10 hours a day for a, just under just under two and a half years mm, and okay. then would read um you know books by osho uh there was another book called the urantia which um i read a little bit uh, about just to kind of get to know a little bit more about jesus and that type of thing which was at that time he was my one of my primary teachers uh, and then, of course, I just dabbled in a little bit of the different stuff. But then I, the most profound thing that occurred was when I walked into a bookstore. It used to be it was called Borders. There's no longer mm-hmm. Borders now. But right. I, while I was walking down the um, the spiritual book aisle, I 
my eyes were drawn to a book and I pulled it off the shelf and I made eye contact with the man on the cover and I immediately, without even reading it, took it home, took it back to my apartment and threw it on my bed and then I every time I would look at it I would start crying. And which, I had which no book idea. Is that? It was called The Spiritual Teachings of Ramana Maharshi. Oh, okay. Mhm. And I and I began to cry and I had no mm-hmm. idea why, but I would cry for hours on end profusely. And so there was a purification and a detoxification occurring and then within two weeks uh, of practicing the teachings set forth in that book, which has come to be uh, essentially the the teaching that I now uh, share, mm-hmm. is called self inquiry. Okay. And self self inquiry essentially takes place in that you don't follow dogmas, you don't follow belief systems, you don't essentially follow any thoughts. All you do is every time you have a thought, no matter what it is, you ask yourself. To who is this thought occurring, or who is aware of this thought? And the answer is always going to be, I am. In other words, mm-hmm. who's thinking this thought? I am. And so what this does is very profound in that it actually reverses the flow of consciousness, in that instead of your mind going out toward your thoughts, it now turns back in toward the source of thought. So the flow of consciousness now reverses. Instead of going out, it turns back, and it makes an, a, a radical U-turn and goes back toward I, and then one asks the question, who am I? So in other words, who's having this thought? I am. Who am I? Mm-hmm. And so um, and so this was the only, the only thing to be followed because all, you know, other paths that I have tried, they had gotten to a certain point where I would experience peace and bliss, um, ecstasy from being in deep states of meditation, um, you know, practiced yoga for many years, and uh, hatha yoga, traditional hatha, and that type of thing, but mm-hmm. nothing ever lasted, nothing ever really anchored me in the source to where I actually mm-hmm. realized and knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, that I was one with God. And mm-hmm. so so once I practiced this for about two weeks, uh, almost nonstop, uh, incessantly, I ate very little uh, during those uh, two weeks, I went down for a walk on the beach, and then suddenly there was a an explosion in my consciousness where um, you could say that uh, um, everything turned inside out, upside down and backwards. I mean, there was a, um, where I knew that I was that consciousness that permeated everything in existence. And and I stayed in that state of what, what is difficult to even describe because it's impossible to stay there permanently um, without the body dropping without the body dying going through the transition mm-hmm. but it was such an expanded state that um that I was only able to stay in that for roughly a couple of weeks and then 
a, a variation of that for about nine months, which was very ecstatic. And I felt like at that point that there was, that that was the realization that was spoken of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there was, um, I woke up one morning and suddenly there was this desire to um, to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was the complete polarity of that extreme oneness. It was a, a contraction so dense that my body felt like it was made of metal. It was, it had gone to the extreme opposite. And so, you know, I called my sister and, and we arranged for me to go up and spend some time with a, a sage who lived in a place called Aham, which is the Association of Happiness for All Mankind in North Carolina. So I went up there for about nine days and spent some time there mm-hmm. until until it passed. Okay. And then and then so in a sense this 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 not this um, deep conditioned vasana what we call vasana in Christianity they call it sin. It's a okay. it's a deeply a deeply rooted condition pattern. Uh, that is anchored in heavy duality or um, hellish uh, dimensions where you encounter things that are, you know, dark and, and that kind of thing. You know, many different things occurred. So, But it was part of the dark night of the soul um, mm-hmm. period. And so uh, I decided to maintain connection with them for about a year. I came back home and I corresponded with them until eventually I just picked up my stuff, threw it in my car, and I just drove there, and I pitched out in a in a tent. Uh, I asked them if I could live on their property in a tent, uh-huh. and I did that for two days until after two days, I guess when A. Ramana, who was the, the, the sage or the, the spiritual director there, he said I could move in. Uh-huh. So he invited me to move in. I guess he recognized that at that point I I was uh, passionate about the teaching and in alignment with the teaching that that they shared, which was also the teachings of Ramana Maharshi. Um, Mm -hmm. And so then I just stayed there for a little while and, uh, you know, went to India um, with, you know, them a couple of times and had some different experiences um, there that were very... Um, that I guess you would say deepened the it, it deepened the 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 insight or realization from the perspective that it was more stable. It wasn't coming and going uh, from the awareness uh-huh. of of being. It was that recognizing, <clears throat> in a sense, that I was the ocean, you know, um, right. you know type thing, and. Um, so uh, one thing I, 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 you know, if I would, if I can share is, is the perspective would be like if there was an infinite ocean and uh, it, it went out in all directions and my body was like a sponge in the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, and not only was the sponge in the ocean, but the ocean was in the sponge. Right. And so from that perspective, 
if I were inside the sponge looking out of the sponge, I realized that my entire life I actually thought I was the sponge. In other words, I thought I was the body. But right. this shift this shift had been so profound that I no longer thought myself to be the sponge. I realized that I was the ocean looking out of the sponge. Right. And so that, uh, I, you know, uh, to put it, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love that analogy. That's beautiful. Um, I, I've, I've been listening and taking some notes. When you had mentioned uh, about um, you had moved to the beach, and for two years, um, that rem- that reminded me of Eckhart Tolle. When he had his awakening, he pretty much went um, he he went to the park every day for about two years and just sat all day on a, a park bench and um, <laughs> just kind of uh, noticed, you know, just kind of stayed anchored in the now. Which uh, yes. one of my one of my favorite books is The Power of Now by Eckhart yeah. Tolle. Um, yeah, I like. Uh, I find that um, I love doing this show because I find that people that I have guests on this show have come to the awakening to the truth of of who they are, which is one with God, an inseparable yes. um, part of God. You can never be um, separated from God, and I think that's a, a big aspect of understanding the truth of oneness. Um, and I think uh, people, uh, my observation is that people come to that truth in so many um, different ways. It's like they're almost like there's no, there, I don't think there are two paths that are identical as to coming to that truth. For me, it was actually a science documentary that kind of woke me up from a, not an intellectual standpoint but from a heartfelt standpoint that I know I'm one with God I know I cannot be separated from God and in that knowing it it relieves it's that that peace that surpasses all understanding it's the that you can't be afraid because what are you going to be you're you're you are an inseparable part of God nothing can hurt God nothing can hurt you and so that truth I like that for me, I try to keep it simple because I, I want everybody to awaken to this truth. So I say, let me try to keep it on an elementary level. So I try to, I use words that, you know, most people can identify with as far as just understanding the truth of oneness, the truth of being one with God and one with everyone. So it's interesting, like um, I had mentioned, The Course in Miracles, I did get... I got the book. I first heard of the book in uh, '09. It was after I had come to the awakening to the truth of oneness. That happened in 2007. But um, a friend told me about A Course in Miracles. They said, you should check this out. So I went and I, I got the book. And I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, I'm reading it. Not that I didn't get it. It's just, um, it, it was. Uh, not it's just reading it did not flow for me like reading picking up uh the power of now i could pick that yes. up and i could not put it down um right. i tried to read a course in miracles and 
I'm like, mm, okay, let me just take this back to the library. <laughs> but, but so many um, of my guests, I mean, many of my guests, especially this year, have um, resonated with that book. And, and, and it does resonate with me, the essence, the, the essence of oneness, what, if anything, is talking and teaching that we are all one and that we're one with God and there is no separation, that separation is just an illusion, that, that resonates with me. You know, if something is talking about, you know, separation, then that, that doesn't resonate with me. Um, but the other thing I, I, I say a lot on this show is that those things, teachers, books, all those things in the outer world are pointers to truth. But the truth lies within. So I love your, your self-inquiry. That I love. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're, uh, whatever you're observing or thinking to ask the question, well, who is thinking that thought? You know, and it and it turns back to you. Um, I, I like that. That's uh, I, I believe that it it does what what's on the outer in the outer world is part of the illusion that we're creating, but it, it can it can point us to the truth of who we are. And once you know that know that you know the truth of who you are, then that's when um, my whole life changed, you know. And all I can do is share that with others. I I always say on this show, I'm not a teacher. Um, I'm still a student. I learn from all my guests, and so I I'm just trying to share what resonates as truth for me and live that truth in every now moment and just share that and have, you know, have these kind of dialogues. I love having dialogues with my guests of how they came to um, understand the truth of oneness. Uh, And it is fascinating to me that science is really on board with what spirituality has been teaching for eons. Yeah. So tell tell us more about the the self inquiry how people can can ab- adapt that into their daily daily life. Okay, well, well the the self inquiry, I think the the probably the most remarkable thing about self inquiry is that all other paths all other paths eventually lead to one of two paths. Mm-hmm. Either toward turning inward through inquiring into the source of being or into God or complete surrender. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's it's going to be one of those two. Either either we collapse under the weight of uh, the mind, I guess you would say, would collapse under the weight of its own ignorance, or mm-hmm. the mind would be driven inward in search of the truth. And so depending on the demeanor uh, of the seeker, uh, it, it's going to be one of, one of those, essentially. The, the thing I really enjoyed about the... Now, all paths, eventually, they kind of, like streams, they lead into those two rivers, mm-hmm. which eventually lead to the ocean. 
But uh, even though many people have glimpses, like I had many glimpses, in, in which case I wasn't really sure whether or not there was realization until the depth of awareness and the, the the inner stillness had become so deeply anchored that it became almost impossible for the mind to go out and stay there. Mm-hmm. So this was where where objectification with form was very difficult, whereas at one point meditation was about 1% my mind would go in about 1% of the time and out about 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. And then by the time this, uh, I had practiced the inquiry uh, for several years, then it got to the point where about 98% of the time my mind was turned inward and very very immersed in, in that. And then maybe a couple of percent of the day would I actually be engaged or entertaining dialogue or interaction with with um with people or students mm-hmm. or people who had come uh in in search of realization so mm-hmm. but the beauty about the self inquiry that i that i find that makes it so powerful is that almost every path has an element of resistance to it or a resistance meaning the resistance to the way that their life is right now and that they are in search of something that is going to eliminate their life the way it is. So it, in most spiritual paths, carry a very subtle resistance which keeps the mind intact. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really allow the, the full structure of the individual separate sense of me to collapse totally there there are that's why many people have what are called satori's or glimpses uh of the divine uh and, but there's not a full uh stabilization or realization of self where one remains anchored in it in the self or in the heart uh effortlessly and so mm-hmm. the the question who is having this thought i am it doesn't resist the thought. So if there is a thought that arises in your mind, you're not sitting there saying, oh, there's a thought, let that go. There's a thought, let that go. There's a th- you're not letting go of thoughts. You're not trying to get rid of your thoughts. You're not doing anything that would create a bubble of resistance that would retain the structure of the ego. It mm-hmm. would. You simply ask with the intention of finding out. It's fine that there's a thought there. But who is it that's aware of the thought? That's what I want to know. And so it's not like it it shouldn't be there because most forms of meditation, uh, because there there is a subject and an object in the meditation, it creates a duality that makes it impossible for the ego to be transcended. So in other words, if I'm meditating on a candle flame, then I'm the subject of awareness meditating on the object, the candle flame. If I take that more subtle and I say, okay, I'm going to meditate on my breath. Okay, well, now my breath becomes the object while I'm the awareness behind the breath. There's still an object, a subject-object relationship. 
And then if I say, okay, well, I'm going to watch thoughts, now the thoughts become the objects. And, it, and at no point, as long as I'm watching my thoughts, does the object and subject merge. There's always remains that separation, no matter how slight or how subtle it is. But when you ask yourself, who's aware of the thought, and you say, I am, now the object becomes the subject. Mm-hmm. And And when the only thing that remains is the subject, then the only thing that remains is even within the I am, the I dissolves. And and even the I disappears, and what remains is the amness, or the what's called isness, of, mm-hmm. of pure being, and <laughs> and so this does, and and that yeah. doesn't allow for there to be a, a resurrection of the individual separate sense of me. And so right. that's that's one of the beauty, the beautiful aspects I found of the self inquiry in having been um, sharing this for about 20 years um, is that a lot of people come here and they are they're from all different walks all different religious paths different teachings and there really is no way a lot of people in recovery because really many of the different people from the different paths are are they're looking for something they're they're desiring to be free but they're the very systems that they're a part of that they're practicing create a dependency for instance recovery you know um once an alcoholic always an alcoholic you know you know this type of thing well right. but but that that's not true because right. you're not your behavior and you never were an alcoholic to begin with. But mm-hmm. it's necessary to tell somebody that maybe in the beginning because they're having a hard time accepting the fact that, you know, that they are drinking alcohol, they're doing destructive behaviors. But at some point, all that needs to be let go. And where the inquiry comes in is it basically says, okay, who thinks they're an alcoholic? Or who thinks that, you know, that they're, you know, they're they're not... Uh, happy, who thinks that they're, you know, that the world is out to get them, uh, you know, the conspiracy theories and all this kind of thing that are going on. Um, a good example also is the political climate now. A lot of people are complaining about what's going on, and of course, you know, <laughs> the whole thing is 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 really comical because yeah, who's who's thinking well, all of this? You know, right. I am. You said the word that that is really key for me, and I use the word all the time, isness. It yeah. is what it is, and for me, I, I, you, your terminology is very different from mine in the sense that. Mm-hmm. But when you were explaining it, I realized that's exactly kind of what I do. There is no, there is no um, moment that is not perfect. Everything is in the now moment that everything I desire is here and now. And that was key for my awakening to know there is nothing to seek. There's nothing to seek outside of this moment. And enlightenment, perfection, it's all in the now moment. 
so you you're not it's and it's hard for me to put it into words but i'm not seeking anything outside of this now moment and enlightenment is not in the future it's here and now it because right that's all we have is the here and now so if you're seeking something that's not here and now you're always seeking so and and i'm i'm not good at putting it into words but in listening to you i i could hear um my truth in different verbiage that you were using because um, for me, it, it, I don't even I don't look at life as a journey. Journey, life mm-hmm. to me is knowing that in this now create now moment that I'm creating, all is right here and now. And for me to love and appreciate the now, and in every moment, yeah. what I do is remind myself of that truth. Mm-hmm. That there there's nothing outside of the now. And it's, the now is perfect. The isness is perfect. Yes. And what's ever happening is happening for my highest good. Yes. Yes. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but we, <laughs> I just <laughs> no, wanted to, to, to no, jump in and throw all. that in there. Yeah. Not at all. So, it's important. So. Yeah. Right. It's important that people realize that and know that. It takes away a lot of the intimidation element of trying to become something that they think they're not and trying mm-hmm. to get enlightened is one of the biggest obstacles because mm-hmm. the, you already are what you're looking for. So, exactly. you know, all that's necessary is to drop the concepts and the belief systems that are in place that keep us stuck, you know. And one of the things is it's is that not to become dependent on a teacher uh, mm-hmm. to to let go of and to destroy the authority figures and structures mm-hmm. in our in, within our paradigms for for instance one of the most significant ones uh, for me was uh, when i watched the movie jfk uh, with the John F. Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I had ever thought to question the sovereignty of, of the government, to ever question <laughs> anybody, because I never mm-hmm. thought, why in the world would my government lie to me? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was so innocent at that time and so naive, I guess would be another word, that mm-hmm. I never thought right. for a second that anybody would would do it other than, you know, the guy they said did it. And then, of course, right. uh, you know, after watching that, I, I began to question everybody and everything. Mm-hmm. And so once I started questioning everybody, then all of a sudden I realized, you know, everybody is telling their story the way they want it to be. But but nobody's story is going to be the story that I want. It's, it's, you know, they're being themselves, but even Jesus or Buddha or whoever it is that's telling their story, Eckhart, Tolle, it it doesn't really matter because it's not my desire to walk in anyone else's footsteps. Yeah, it's to to, uh, see things clearly and to feel the freedom to question everyone without exception. And mm-hmm. and that really I feel like was a very important part on the path, one that one that allowed 
um, allowed me to pursue it in a way mm-hmm. where there was very little religious influence because my mother was a Lutheran, my father was a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they couldn't decide which church to take me to, so they just let me not go to any of them. Mm-hmm. And okay. that was very significant because mm-hmm. in that, I be I was able to pick up a Bible and read it right. without without anybody giving me their spin on it. That's and a good thing. It, and and it's yeah. important because because vibrationally it was interesting when I go back and I look at it, the passages that I was led to by my inner voice, uh, my inner guidance system, were those passages that led me to the self-inquiry. Mm-hmm. For instance, I and the Father are one. Yeah. But the Father, the Father is greater than I. So this is the same as the sponge in the ocean, and it helped mm-hmm. me to really, to really see that. And then, mm-hmm. then of course, moving to Costa Rica when Penelope and I moved to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was very, very powerful and very significant, and that really tied up the loose ends for me, was the book "Be Still and Know I Am God." Mm-hmm. When the book was done. It actually, the reading of the book, after having uh, written the book, I actually began to realize that the the inner voice that was coming through me that was writing the book was was even clearer than mm-hmm. what I considered to be my own my own voice until eventually mm-hmm. that inner voice replaced my own. Uh, sense of individual voice, in which case I realized there really is no such thing as channeling, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there sure. is only the source. There's no such thing as channeling. Right. There's only the source. So, yeah. and so uh, that, and so you know, but but that realization had to be had, and that was what the book did for me. It destroyed, because it's question and answer, the temporary duality that exists within all religions, where someone is worshiping God or somebody is praying to God, or someone is teaching these things, which are on a on a more adolescent level, but a necessary level that we, we go through, that we evolve beyond that to where we realize, look, there is really no such thing as a God in the way that we've been conditioned to think of it. And it has to die. And so that was final, and that was the thing that the book did. For me, the book took me from a stage where I was I had gotten to a place where I was immersed in being but there was still wavering and then mm-hmm. the completion of reading that over and over it solidified it and made it stable so and for so me I, is, I say oh, I mean interrupt god for me is everything there is nothing that exists that is not god because right. nothing, everything, everything is God, and and God is everything. You you can interchange it, like you said. There's no, there's no only the the subject, no object, um, right. and the, there's nothing outside of God. No, right. So there is no thing that can exist exists that is not right. God. If it yes. if it exists, it is God. So that's how I uh, I uh, like to to frame it, and that yeah. that's really 
just that simple knowing for me made everything clear. Everything was so clear. I mean, I was, you know, until I came to that understanding of the truth of oneness, the truth of there is only God, and we are all expressions, unique, divine expressions of God. Everything. Yeah. Yes. Extensions, uh, even extensions of it. Yes. Yes. Mm, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely different than how we were taught. I went to Catholic school, <laughs> so I had religion <laughs> in school, and and I I, I never what I was being taught um, from a very young age um, in Catholic school and in churches. It didn't resonate with me from a very young age, but I was raised not to question adults. You know? yeah. So I was like, okay, you guys yeah. are telling me this stuff is not ringing true to me, but I guess I just have to sit here and take it because I'm a kid. You know? so, yeah. But so I, I, you know, as I got older and was able to seek mm. things out for myself is when... Um, is when, yeah, I, it, it came to, but like I said, for me, the oneness, understanding God is everything, and everything is God, and we're, we're all aspects of God. You know, we're just, we are experiencing and creating, and experiencing creating at the same time um, as God. So yeah. be still and know I am God. That is so true. That is so true. This has been a really amazing, amazing. Um, actually, I'm not sure if. Okay, there's. I'm not sure if we have a questioner because sometimes I take questions and I just notice yeah. uh, on the panel there's a caller, but I don't know if it's a questioner. Let uh, you want to? Would you like to take a question, Nick? Sure. If we sure, have. Certainly. Sure. Certainly. Okay, let's sure. see if we have someone with a question on. Hold on. Alrighty. Hi, caller. You're on the air. Did you have a question for Nick? I was actually just tuning in. Thank you. You were just listening in. Okay, yeah. no problem. I wasn't sure. Okay, your name? It, my name is Marie. Hi, Marie? Yes. Okay, nice. Thank you for listening in. Okay, so oh. I just want I wanted to be sure we weren't missing anybody's question. Okay, I'll just put you back on um, mute. Okay. Thank you. All right. Okay, no problem. Hmm. And sometimes people actually call in to listen to the show, so that's uh, so I, I looked over at the the panel and I was like, uh, we have a few minutes left, and I was like, oh, if we have a question, that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah no actually we you and I we resonate um it's so interesting that verbiage though um and I say that a lot of times cuz like you had said um you've had mystical experience when in meditation and there you really it's hard to find the words that can describe your experiences and I understand that because so many times I think words can get in the way um, sometimes I think people are saying the exact same thing but using different words, and think yeah. they're, they think they're saying something different. And I'm listening to them, and I'm like, "You guys are saying, <laughs> you guys are saying the same thing, just using different words." So, 
but um, I believe it, um, in the uh, early part of conversations with God, uh, God is saying to Neil that the least, the, uh, he, the way he communicates is through feeling. You know, when I say God, which we know God is not a separate, separate God is not separate from us. But God communicates our higher self, our God self, communicates with our our human consciousness through feelings um, before he communicates through words. That's the least way he communicates. And um, I remember reading that in book one of Conversations with God um, is how he communicates. And he communicates with all of us all the time. And I like how you say, be still, because that's important for us to be still, to quiet our mind so we can hear God, our God self, communicating to us. Yeah. Uh, We essentially, essentially, um, I would say, in this teaching, generally don't use the word God, even though the book title has the word God in it, simply Mm -hmm. because there is so much, it's so... uh, uh, emotionally charged with exactly. mis, uh, misinterpretations of, of and concepts of something that is very anthropomorphic or very limited, and so uh, the, you know, just self is generally what we use. So the word God. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the ways is that you know once this occurs is the when instead of when you're like say walking down the road instead of feeling like you're walking down the road and the road is stationary you realize that you're stationary and that the road is actually coming toward you mm-hmm. and through you so mm-hmm. everything is reversed so in that regard the any sense of god is is destroyed because mm-hmm. there really is no such thing as 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 God in in the traditional sense, it's mm-hmm. everything is you is flowing through you, and so to use the term I, right. you know, or or am, it it makes it easier, at least mm-hmm. in my experience, for someone to have a direct experience because if they meditate, even if they say I am God. Mm-hmm. There's still an I and God, which which you know creates thought. A separation. So there's still a, a concept. Yes, it's still mm-hmm. a mental concept. But if there's just um, who am I, what occurs is with the question who am I when asked with deep uh, conviction, is that the flow of consciousness begins to actually invert, so that the mind you can actually feel it like a vortex like a little black hole that is starting to form between the head and the heart where you Mm -hmm. can actually feel everything being pulled inward to the uprootment, if you will, within the body where you can actually feel the tentacles of identification with the body being uprooted or pulled out in, in this sense, what would be called sins. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's samskaras or or what are called vasanas um, in in the more Eastern teachings, but you mm-hmm. can literally feel identification with the body being pulled out and pulled mm-hmm. into the heart, where they actually 
disappear, and all that remains then is this uh, empty central vortex of 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 being, where right. nothing nothing can escape it. Uh, you right. know, uh, and and so this way, you know, we we just have we establish that it, you know it would be easier to not talk in terms of God, even though mm-hmm. not in the atheistic perspective, right. but from the perspective not that there is no God, but that there is no God in the way that it has been uh, conditioned into us to think Are it there is. Are there is nothing we, that is not God? Right, <laughs> would be that, more accurate. In that way. But yeah. um, I like, I am that. I am. Yes. And notice how yeah. I put the comma after the first that I am that I am, yes. and I do yeah. like in the in the course where um, early on in the uh, a course in miracles you look at whatever you're looking at you identify like if I'm looking at a bottle of water <laughs> that's what I'm looking at right now I am that that yeah. bottle of water and, and where we you know there's no separation from that bottle of water and me and that's part of the I think lessons and early on in A Course in Miracle, whatever you're looking at, you are that. I am that. I am. Or so, I yeah. am. Or I am the I am. I am the I am. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Which, which is, you know, my interpretation of that is that I am that I am. In other True. words, there's I am, and then there is, you know, I am. Another in the biblical sense in Exodus mm-hmm. uh, three fourteen mm-hmm. where he says, "Who shall I tell them hath sent me unto you? Tell them I am right. hath sent me unto you." And then mm-hmm. he said, "I am that I am." Meaning, mm-hmm. then he realized Moses's enlightenment or realization was that he was the I am that he had mm-hmm. glimpsed, even right. though it seems to be an external dialogue was really an internal dialogue going exactly. on within within him and so yeah from that perspective mm-hmm. so true so true so nick please I, I can't believe an hour has gone by already <laughs> please share with our listeners um uh, how they can um find you online and and mm-hmm. also get your book that i have a link to your website but you please share it um with the listeners okay. how they can uh, get in touch, keep in touch with you, and, vo- and follow you. Well, well, thank you. Um, okay, well, uh, our website um, is self, S-E-L-F hyphen mm-hmm. inquiry, with an I, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y dot com. Mm-hmm. And the book is Be Still and Know I Am God. Now, it doesn't have the word that in it. So be still and know that I am God. That that's the um uh that's from Psalms forty six I believe. But this is mm-hmm. this is uh, an abbreviated version of it that just we got rid of the word that which was um, not necessary. I mm-hmm. uh, be still and know I am God the direct mm-hmm. path to knowing God within is the subtitle. So and it's yeah. Nick Gansitano is uh, so, but yeah. if, if you just put in "Be still and know I am God" without the word, uh, without the word "that" in it, 
right. com, and you can put dot com after it, and it'll come. It'll take you to ours. Okay, so. wonderful. This is great. This is great. I like I said, I just love having guests on like yourself that know that you know who you are because I think that's key. I think it it also says somewhere in the Bible, know thyself. That is key. This is so true. Well, thank you Mm -hmm. so much, Nick. Uh, We've had an awesome, amazing conversation. And please thank Penelope. Um, I've had several conversations with Penelope. She is very lovely. And I'm so glad glad to have you guys. And um, I'm definitely going to keep um, in touch via email and and um, follow you online. All right. Well, thank you. It's nice. Thank nice, you. Uh, speaking with you. Great speaking with you. And um, you have a great weekend too. It's a beautiful fall. You're in Florida. You don't have the fall like, like we have. <laughs> it's beautiful no. fall foliage here, and uh, mm-hmm. getting kind of nippy, <laughs> but I'm sure it's pretty warm down there. <laughs> Yeah. But if I'm ever yeah. coming down that way, I'm going to look you up. <laughs> okay? Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. That would be great. Okay, mm. thank you so much. You guys have okay. a great weekend. All thank right. you, you too, and everybody thank else who's there. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye now. Bye-bye.